Hello, podcast family, and welcome to Regulation Revolution, where we are igniting a revolution to help the world effectively manage and respond to their emotional experiences. It's not about what happens to us, but how we react that creates harmony or chaos in our lives. Emotional regulation is a complex process involving many factors. We offer this podcast provide insight for you about how you can fine-tune and powerfully decide to transform your complex emotional states into empowered instances of self-mastery, peace, and increased awareness. Instead of having your emotions control of you, you can learn to have control over your emotions. The following program in no way constitutes therapeutic counseling and does not establish a therapeutic relationship or offer any premise of confidentiality with any listener or participant. For more information, visit us at regulationrevolution.com. Welcome to today's episode of Regulation Revolution with your co-hosts, Amy Raymer and Barry Vassar, Heart and Mind. Amy is a licensed therapist, professional speaker, and teacher. Barry is a pre-licensed therapist and practice manager at Heart and Mind. To find out more about Heart and Mind, please visit heartmindrba.com. You're really talking about when you were, we're, we're talking about the co-regulation and regulation in the womb, but it, it's, it sounds like it's more than just that, because I know we're looking at like birth to 12 months and you're counting on a little bit. There's, it sounds like there's regulation that takes place in the womb. There's regulation that needs to be provided right after the child is born and in that into that new environment. And then even just go into the home, whether it's it, you'd left off with adoptive home where everything stops subtly, but really anything that takes place in there, I guess, requires children to have infants to have that birth to 12 months to have, or even two years to have a parent that can co-regulate with them. Because my head's going to places like you could have the perfect Vessel mom carrying you, well regulated, be the most, the least traumatic birth in the warmest, fuzziest hospital room and have that voice of security and regulation. You could have, you go home and there's no dogs barking and uh, all this stuff. You could have all that wonderful stuff. And we're all very co regulated and everything is running smooth. And then two years old, Pawpaw dies. That causes dysregulation for mom or dad, whosoever parent it was. But that's also a change, like you said, with the tiger. This is a change to my environment, and it's a change to my relationships. And so I'm wondering, like, is that even a sudden stop? I know it's not as sudden as you're adopted, but it's definitely got to cause a shift. And you still, yeah. I'm saying the child still, it's not just about the wound. The child needs to be able to be, to experience co-regulation throughout that first year and beyond, really. It's just, that's just, we're just talking about the womb is where it starts. And then of course we want to carry it on as much as we can after birth, because the longer and the more, more good enough their situation is that first couple of years, you're just strengthening that foundation. You're just, it's just reinforcing it. 
uh, longer you go with it being good, or even if you do have a stressor, as long as everybody manages that stressor, and this doesn't mean, so I'll, using your example of say a, a parent, a grandparent of the baby is lost. Obviously that's extremely stressful for a parent, if that would, especially if it's their, their parent. And so they're going to be grieving. They're going to be sad. They're not going to be in the same headspace that they normally are. But that doesn't mean they're dysregulated. Because you can be sad and be regulated. It means they're in control of their emotions, okay. right? So, so a child witnessing their parent be sad isn't a bad thing. It just, but as long as that child doesn't end up getting this impression that they need to fix it for the parent or that the parent isn't in control any longer and now they've got to be in control and so if a parent like say picks maybe the two-year-old walks in and on a parent and they're crying over their loss rather than pretending one saying oh i'm fine i'm fine and pretending it when a two-year-old is certainly smart enough to know that they just walked in on their parent crying they can just say mommy's is having a really sad moment that's what was going on honey what do you need? What, how can I help you? Because then that says it's okay to be sad. What the words you just gave a two-year-old who's learning language, the words you just gave the two-year-old match what they just saw, right? Yes, mommy is just really sad. I'm missing my daddy or pop pop or papa or whatever mm -hmm. a lot right now. And when we miss somebody, sometimes the tears come out. So we're normalizing the sadness, but she's also saying but even though I'm sad right now, I'm still come on, but I can be into what you need right now. What is it that you need? And I'm still, I'm still available right? to you. Uh, yeah, here. that anchor. I think we probably use the anchor because I do that one a lot. Like the anchor mm -hmm. is still here, even though the anchor's crying. <laughs> the anchor is still here. <laughs> so, <laughs> because if we, if you cover it up, and then we're getting a little off topic, but if you cover it up, you're sort of sending the message that one, it doesn't match. So it's like, I swear you were just crying. What do you mean? Like, fine. That doesn't make any sense. And it also sends a message that there's something wrong or bad about being sad. And there isn't anything wrong or bad about being Her being sad is showing how much she loved her parent and, and is missing them. And so, but that co-regulation is about normalizing that. So that was her, like, yes, I'm sad. You know, you know I've got this. Now let's just say... Well, we'll flip it a little bit, right? Two-year-old walks in, mom is hysterically sad and is kind of control, just can't manage. This is what I call, and I know that you are a wrestling fan. I have a husband who's a wrestling fan. This is the tag teaming, right? Where this is where a spouse or uh, an aunt, an uncle, another grandparent, a neighbor, a friend or whatever, which is what happens a lot when people go through these things, right? Mm -hmm. They can step in and say, mommy's just really upset right now. And so we're going to let mommy have some time to, to have her sad moments. How can I help you? What, what do you need? And so then they can see that even if the anchor isn't available right now, I'm not left on my own. There are other anchors that are going to step in and help out. That's the adults co-regulating for each other also, right? Because everybody does this to a certain degree or it's needed you may not do it very well but it's certainly needed so that's when the rec if we recognize uh, now so i'm going to tell on myself my husband's nickname is somebody because, okay. because 
when I am dysregulated, it's really hard for me to ask directly for help. So what I will say is somebody needs to go get the dog or somebody <laughs> needs to fix somebody fix the kid's lunch. Because <laughs> if I am not in a, if the anchor is in a place and it can't manage and needs some help. And so the big joke is that his name is somebody because there was nobody else around. It is him, right? Uh, so that, that was the way that, that I was trying to communicate that I am a little bit too dysregulated to handle this task right now. And I need help. So that was, that was my way of tagging him in. I think, I think my house, I think my household, my, my nickname must be everybody because I hear the words, I need everybody to leave me alone. And then when I shoot the kids <laughs> off, I'm told to get out the room. And I'm like, so it was really just me. If everybody would just be quiet, I'm like, so you're just talking about me, right? All right, wait a minute. We're running that. You almost brought us back on topic. Birth topic. That's the reason here, folks, watching and listening, we do have a little bit of an outline we go by. I, I took us down that road. I'm sorry. I want to go back real fast. We had talked about, we were looking at birth trauma some. Mm -hmm. Let's get back within that, that birth realm. And mm -hmm. there was an interesting note that you had in here that I saw that says separation anxiety presents later in life due to separation attachment or slash attachment wounds earlier in life. Mm -hmm. So, and one of the things that was hitted there was like NICU stays, medical procedures, uh, absence of the mother. Uh, can you touch on those just a little bit? And I'll tell you why I'm curious about it. Then we put the outline down. It's because in my own birth history, if for all of you people who want to know out there, and Amy, just for your geek brain to be able to pick apart, I, 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 my claim to fame is I was born dead and lived to tell about it uh, because they pronounced me at birth with hysterical mom and dad calling. This was back in the day, and you don't need to know what day it was. Um, might've been the Carter administration. And some of you are going to have to look that up, but they just put me out in the hallway on a metal tray wrapped in a blanket, uh, to get, to get me away from the crying hysterical mom who just had dead baby. And then somebody else in the hallway was an orderly, was a nurse. They made a little newspaper about it, came there and said, Hey doctor, you got a baby out here in the hallway. They're like, yes, we know. Don't bring up the baby. Come to that effect. She was like, no, no, no. The baby is crying in the hallway. And so I, I like to joke, I was born dead and lived to tell about it. But that was immediate separation. And then Nikki. So I didn't even, I got the disconnect from birth right out. Uh, you're, in your clinical opinion, how messed up does that make me? <laughs> so, right, so that's birth trauma. Well, so that, so that normal separation from mom that occurs at birth got complicated fast. And I don't know about you can't speak to sort of like the medical side of it, but if, if mom was having medical issues or baby was having medical issues at birth, then obviously the doctors have to take action to save mom, save baby, save both, whatever you need to do. I have a, a, a case that, that this came up with a therapist actually in a training that I was doing for EMDR and her small issue, because we're picking small issues to practice with, right? was having this anxiety leaving her new baby with her mother-in-law even though her mother-in-law is a really nice person sweet person everything she knew about her husband's upbringing was a good one you know red flags as to why you would not want to leave a baby with this person and uh -huh. but 
being a therapist sort of recognized anxiety. And what we ended up sort of going backwards to was when she was born, her mother had a major medical issue, was had to be led flighted, didn't know if the mother was going to make it. She was born. I don't know if it was a C-section or not. Don't know. But the point is, is her mother had a major medical crisis. And so obviously that warm, safe environment she had been in for nine months, all of a sudden, all the sirens and the alarm bells and whistles are going off. And um, and her her mother's body was in, in a, a panic. So, of course, baby's in a panic. And so what we were looking at was this anxiety related to a baby being separated from the parent, which is what she was experiencing, leaving her child with someone else for the first, you know, as a, as a new mom. And so, and how that related to her experience as a baby, just like yours, being separated, you know, quickly. And, um, you know, like you said, even more separated because, you know, medical complications that you were having that they were checking on or whatever, whatever medical miracles you were having that caused you to live um, your, own, your own internal AED or whatever you had going on there <laughs> that got you, got you going. Um, I think it's pure stubbornness, but you know, I'll go there, but uh, I go along with that right there. It's... Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, speaking of, of that, like with you and all that, you know, you know, that, that tiger got the bejesus scared out of it. Um, everything in its in the world changed rapidly, and there was foreign sounds, foreign smells, foreign you know on the skin and materials on the skin. They probably like had tubes in here and and everything you know up and you know that. And so, and it doesn't necessarily mean that it kills someone's regulation because, like I said, you could have could have had you know months and twenty nine days of bliss <laughs> inside of there, right? And then on that 30th day, everything goes haywire. Um, oh, we've all had a bad day. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, doesn't necessarily mean that it doesn't have a huge impact, especially because of that little brain that is so plastic and like thingy, so imprinted so easily. I had a client that, um, for all intents and purposes, very normal pregnancy, normal birth, normal childhood. We hit kindergarten. We have like some anxiety to be ill. And so more than the typical kindergartner starting school separation anxiety. I mean, get he would melt down. He would get aggressive towards his mother, like major tiger going on. And I'm sitting here going, I feel something in here probably that we're missing. And um, I go back through my intake with her and, and the check boxes. And this is the thing is medical stuff is often really missed because people don't necessarily view it as traumatic. It was just part of the story, right? Uh, it's like yours, right? It's just part of my story. It's, it's just an interesting story that I have about my birth. Um, they don't think to list it as an issue on these kinds of things. So I kind of just came back to the mom and I'm like, are you sure there wasn't some kind of a separation, an illness, a surgery, a hospitalization? And then all she goes, oh yeah, he was about nine months old and he was hospitalized for three weeks with meningitis. So uh, I was like, oh. so... Again, for the most part, this is a kid with a pretty normal, you know, mm -hmm. pregnancy, good enough parenting, all of that's going well. And then you get a situation where it's a scary, all new environment at school, new people, new sounds, new everything. It touched on that memory piece 
that he had as a baby of probably being scared to death in the hospital as an infant for several weeks with other people and sights and sounds and blah, blah, blah. So it touched on that. It, it checked too many common denominator boxes, right? Wow. So like in your situation, you know, I don't know how it hits in your common denominators, but usually it looks like uh, abandonment, rejection, um, uh, anxiety sometimes, um, sometimes, you know, it just depends. And then you, you're obviously you've got a few years on your life after the hospital. So who knows what other one of those experiences either laid on top of the, that one or could have actually kind of and made it better, right? There's probably some of both. Um, I'm not going to say that like every single abandonment fear that someone has is tied to those moments out in the hallway at the hospital, but that doesn't necessarily mean that there isn't some connection. And that's why we miss it. Because who thinks of a five-year-old that's having separation anxiety starting kindergarten and is you know, above the normal, who connects the dots back to being in the NICU or being in the hospital for a surgery? Right. You connects, nobody usually connects those dots. Um, they don't recognize how fear and trauma and separation and how separation for a baby from primary caregivers is traumatic. Uh, they think that they still had good care, if they still had people rocking them and yeah. feeding them and wherever, they don't think of this child as having trauma. Um, when someone is taken from that safe space and everything that's familiar to everything is unfamiliar and, um, you know, it'd be like being dropped off on Mars and, you know, it'd probably be kind of scary. Um, she dropped off on Mars. That's why I was asking people to sort of about that space that you have, um, for sort of safe space. Now think about if you sort of got ripped from that space and stuck in somewhere that you don't know the language, you don't know the music, you don't know the customs, you don't know the whatevers, um, you're going to be scary, um, in a lot of ways. So that's what it's like for a baby, um, and a toddler to have things sort of change that rapidly. For them with no warning and all of that well uh, a, a couple of quick things here and i feel like we need to bring up to our listeners and viewers and such like that that we hadn't touched too much on i know we're coming in here to our final few moments our last 15 minutes or so co-regulation okay a couple of points that we had on here that we did want to get out there and that is uh co-regulation and one of the phrases says moving in on the teeter-totter adjusting to meet the baby where they are at. So we've talked about the teeter-totter again. You can reference our earlier podcast from the previous week um, or more about that. But then also how to regulate yourself as a parent caregiver when you are dysregulated and expected to regulate for your child. Now we touched on that one a little bit. You've, you've experienced loss. You may have lost your job. Parents could be going through a divorce, whatever. There's grief. There's something taking place. So... Give us the tips on that. As far as I am now, Amy, congratulations. We're going to have a baby. You're, <laughs> you're mom. I am dad. You are, you are carrying child, but I'm also your partner and I, I'm helping you through this. What are some things that, that we should be doing to help be regulated while we're carrying this child? So do you have regulation right. clips that we can give to them? Because we're talking about you need to be regulated, 
all of these terrible things can happen. We can have separation. We can have stress. We can have grief. We can have loss. Let's get some good news. This is what you can do that may help. Right. Yeah. Help me stay regulated. Well, one, it would be. Oh, and by the way, I got to cut you off. Listeners, viewers, Amy and I are not having a baby. I use a lot of scenarios, so just get used to it. No, Amy is all done with that. Remember, remember, this is our baby regulation. This is our baby regulation revolution. Remember, her her spouse's nickname is somebody. I am everybody. That's right. All right. Right. Yes. Two different people. Yes. Uh, One, I would say. Anything that you would do normally to regulate pregnancy doesn't have to change that, right? So getting good. trying to get good sleep as best you can, you know, hydrating, um, get good exercise, all the normal things people would say that are good and healthy for you to do, certainly you still do when you're pregnant, right? Okay. Um, like my mom say to me, I want to stop. She was a runner. She would run every day and she wanted to stop running because she didn't want to stress the baby. And I remember thinking in my head, probably when you're running, your endorphins, your dopamine, all this, all the chemical, the feel good stuff is happening. So really, yeah. if that's something that makes you feel good and it's healthy, don't cut it out, right? Yeah, and of course, I'm not a medical doctor. Uh, right. Obviously, people would need to like about that. But my understanding is, is if it is already sort of your routine and it's a thing that's helping mm-hmm. you to feel good and healthy. As long as your doctor says, no, it's fine. Like, I'm not a runner. I should not start running when I'm pregnant because that's probably not going to go well, right? Like, so if you, like you said, if it's part of her normal routine, all of that, or, you know, doc, you know, talk about like, instead of running or, you know, make it, you know, can still get what you need from it, right? But if it's part of your routine, and I would say you probably don't need to change that for the most part. And obviously your doctor will tell you if you should, but, um, of that like that stuff but i think it's also good to find other things that help you um you're not you may encounter things while you're pregnant that you don't that encounter prior to being pregnant because of hormones and just again like the thoughts of being a parent and what does that mean and all the what ifs my land of what ifs that i i talk about and go to all the land of what ifs so your stress and anxiety are probably going to be higher uh, in a lot of different ways. You might still be happy and excited, but there's oftentimes like a mixed bag. Um, I would say it's really good to have good communication with whoever your support people are, whether that's a partner or, you know, neighbors, parents, you know, whomever. Um, ask for that help if you need it, right? Like do the whole like Amy does with the somebody. Um, <laughs> honestly, like it that help um if people offer it um our culture especially here in the united states is very much about independence and individualism and uh all of that and getting that help when you're pregnant or you know and mean the world of difference um you know like i love um in my phd program i met some people who were doulas and um, I would love for health insurance to start covering doulas everywhere and pay for that. If you're not familiar with what a doula is, there they come in after you've had a baby and um, and lots of different ways. That might not be. And I apologize to any doulas if I make that sound very uh, what you do, but um, <laughs> but it's extremely important and I think so helpful. You know, you know, most families are not in a situation where you've got three or four generations in one home. 
you know, to help with, with new little ones and things like that. If you have that, if you have people that are close by, that's fantastic. Um, but you know, it helps because if that person can do one feeding and you get to take an extra nap and get some sleep, you are now taking care of yourself in order to take care of that baby. And if you push yourself to be so independent and do everything yourself and that you don't need anybody's help, you're not just hurting yourself, you're hurting that child. And so, um, you accept that help. I mean, you see TV when people have like quadruplets and quintuplets and sextuplets and all of that. And you're thinking, good gosh, how do these people do it? And a lot of times they get volunteers and they have people that help and all of this because it's so novelty and fun or whatever. You don't get as many people that like volunteer for one baby, but guess what? That one baby is just as important and needs regulation just as much as those six. Um, you know, that help. Um, that's the best advice that honestly I can give because babies are, you know, it's the sleep and the feeding and they're, it's your whole world has just changed also. Babies right. changed, but your world did too. You have parts that are the same, but you've got parts that have really changed. And so, um, you know, figure out how to make that work. And so communication okay. with that partner, the partners can help with, um, you know, some extra chores around the house or, you know, food out. Like if you don't feel like cooking, like go ahead and put those extra dollars to some DoorDash or something, you know, simple and easy as you possibly can until everybody's regulatory states to get back <laughs> to the way that uh, as much as they're going to get back um, after becoming here. <laughs> you, you mentioned support system and partners and things like that. It's funny. I don't want to run off all time with it, but uh, I would get, there's co-regulation within co-regulation within co-regulation. So <laughs> if, if, if pregnant mom has partner that stresses her out, if partner is not regulated, then mom is dysregulated. And then it's hard to have the co-regulation with the child. And so I don't know why in my, in my barbaric mind, I just came up with this simple phrase in my head as you were talking as like a thumb. So if I'm wrong, just take my thumb and come up with a different rule. I was saying, if it stresses me, it stresses my baby. That tells me something right there. If it's, if, if it stressed me before I was pregnant, if it was something that set off my nervous system before I was pregnant, if it's going to stress me, it's going to set out the nervous system. It's going to set that baby's nervous system off. Mm -hmm. And then I guess on the flip side, and I'm going to put the caveat on it. If it's healthy and helps to regulate me, then I should continue doing it to stay regulated. Um, mm -hmm. There's certainly, certainly things out there that people do that are unhealthy, but it does calm them down. I don't want to go down that whole laundry list of things. Uh, right. Yeah. But so pretty much two rules of thumb to go by. If it stresses you, it stresses the baby. And if it's healthy and it keeps you calm, it will keep the baby calm. Is that layman's term simple? <laughs> yeah. And, what, you know, uh, one other story that I wanted to tell, um, I got, got permission to tell this. It's with my, my son and daughter-in-law with one of their pregnancies had to have an emergency C-section. Um, and, you know, mom was, was, you know, that fine, um, as much as you can do a C-section, um, you know, base good. Um, and so, but, um, it monitors postpartum, you know, I don't want to get into all the medical stuff cause I'm not a medical doctor, but I know that there are some, some 
signs between like, you know, lead to postpartum, sometimes more than um, vaginal births. I don't know if that's actually 100% accurate. I don't have the research on that one. But regardless, this one particular situation, this one particular story, this is what happened. And the baby was not sleeping well either. And so fussy baby, fussy mom, upset, sad, um, dad's not sure what to do. And, you know, you know, trying to co-regulate mom, trying to take care of baby, all of this. And so, um, one of the things that we happen to use in our office, the safe and sound protocol, um, would, would this be something that might help? And so mom listened to the first couple of hours on her own. And then the last, uh, of the time of the, of the, of the program listened with the baby and it fully wiped out the postpartum, got her regulated again. Wow. Mom got regulated, baby started sleeping. And now I can tell you he is one of the most regulated kids I've ever seen. Um, one of the few times I've ever even heard a kid that told me I need a nap and they actually go and take a nap like that <laughs> effort, right? So, um, is regulation 100% perfect? Sure. Not, you know, the ups and downs with that same thing with her, but that shows you where you had a mom who probably was fairly good throughout the pregnancy and all of that. And then you have this trauma that obviously happened to her body. A C-section is very traumatic to a woman's body. And so she had this trauma, medical trauma, happened to her, which of course, you know, and everything else, you know, sent her spinning into another direction. She's dysregulated in a lot of ways because of it. Baby is picking up on that and not resting and not, um, you know, because here's my anchor kind of... Um, and so even with dad trying to help, um, until her system got sort of, it needed to be able to regulate, baby wasn't able to fully regulate. I'm sure he did with dad some and with mom some, but there was still, it's like, it's like her nervous system was, again, it's cues of safety and cues of danger, as, as Dr. Porges will say, her body had been giving off mostly cues of safety, then trauma happens for mom mostly um and then now her body is kind of giving off things of danger and that's sort of confusing because it's like this is the same smell the same heartbeat the same voice but then there's something that's not the same um and so there's stuff it's not as safe as it was and then when she was able to get back and there's different ways that you can do that and as far as regulating but she was able to get back to that, then he was more regulated, and then now baby's more regulated. Um, and so, You've so seen a, it, work. A, it yeah. was, it was, it's fascinating um, when you miss, and then it actually sort of like, <laughs> you know, you know. Um, and I'm not, you know, sharing necessarily sell something. I'm trying to to show the point of right. how important co-regulation is during that that valuable time of in the womb and, 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 you know, post those first few months and everything because, and how that co-regulation piece. And so I'm sure for the mom, how the dad was handling things in this particular, you know, situation, one amount of dad. So, um, how the dad's regulating and try to help her was really important, but there was a lot of other stuff going on too, her body, you know, been through that. And so, um, you know, back to that piece is like we it's our job to offer that safety, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're gonna take it. 
So my, I'm sure that my son was offering safety to her, but her body just wasn't in a place to take it at that moment. But he was thinking more clearly because he hadn't been through that trauma. So he thought of the, the, the SSP that might help her. And, and so then she was like, okay, yeah, sure. Let's try, you know, right. and she didn't even think of it, even though it was something she did for her job. Um, yeah. you know, again, she was dysregulated, you know, she's in tiger mode, so she's not using that owl to think he's in tiger mode, but had a little bit more owl present and was able to come up with that idea to give it a try. So I would say not being a, for also coming back to what you were saying is what can people do to, to help themselves with their regulation is don't be afraid to try stuff or don't be afraid to, um, think outside the box or for loved ones to suggest things. Um, you know, is it, or ask, well, what can I do to help? Um, and, um, so well, if they need me, they'll call. Right. But when people are really struggling, they may not think to call or they may not right. want to bother you or whatever. So I think you may think about making birth plans. People a lot of times you'll have birthing plans and we're going to do this kind of birth in this place with these people and all of that. I think you really need to make sure you're including a few months after the birth in that plate. Yeah. And that way, maybe you set up where, you know, grandparents come Tuesdays and Thursdays or an aunt comes on Fridays or, or you have a babysitter or you hire a doula or whatever, knowing it doesn't really matter if I need them or not. I do need them because right. I, I, I want to get that sleep. If I want, um, you know, to, uh, it would be nice to have that support system. I think that would be just fantastic if people were able to have that um not everybody uh, can do that or is gonna have access to that um i remember i had my second one they actually did send a nurse to my home like to check you know on how you were healing and all of that and answer any questions and it was just so nice that someone came to my house and i didn't have to get dressed and go to the right. you know doctors all deal with that appointment and the traffic and you know, put them in a car seat or making, you know, get them like, or whatever, that just a home health visit from a nurse post, you know, giving birth is so nice. I didn't get that with the first one. Um, and you know, we're all like medical, the field is learning. If you've ever been in a hospital with a baby born here recently, they are very rarely outside of the room with the mother, right? Like they're not in nursery, right. but you can't go by nurseries anymore and like see, you know, like lines of the, of the bassinets with all the babies. You don't see that anymore because we have learned it is much better for those if the mom is able, you know, medically and physically and everything is able to have that baby in that room with her. It is best for that baby to be there rather than in a new sterile environment with all new sights and sounds and people and all of that, right? So um, we're learning, you know, in a ways about that. Um, you know, so just want to keep that people up for success best we can. Um, well, as you said, like in our title tonight, I mean, this loan, I mean, we're foundation. So, you know, that's an encouragement to our listeners, our viewers that, you know, there are you do that, that could take care of yourself, which is also going to take care of your babies, not only physical health, but also mental health, uh, while you're here and in the years to come after that, Amy, uh, I sort of there real fast. We do have a few books listed, a few resources listed, some quotes. You visit our website at regulationrevolution.com. Uh, we will have those there as part of this podcast. Uh, some recommended readings, if you will. But we want to give you some resources out there as well. And Amy, what's up next week? 
What are, what are we going to talk about? All right, we've talked about everybody, somebody, you having babies, me being a baby, or almost not being a baby, um, <laughs> and the important regulation. But I, I really love this topic because I really, if we don't pick it up next week, I'd love to pick it up in the future because we're just at the woe now. So um, what's our plan? What are we going to do next week? Do we know? Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna expand a little bit what we were just talking about, sort of like months, like just you know okay. what does it look like, what does dysregulation look like with a six month old, with a, a ten month old, um, you know, importance of regulation right now, obviously, but how do you know what dysregulation is? And it looks different, obviously, at one year old versus seven year olds, whatever. And so we're we'll we'll talk about that. Um, okay. There are slopes that I think are really good for kids or even that we can help with parents so they can understand this and help illustrate it. That might not be what the author intended, but I certainly hear it uh, <laughs> when I read it, um, you know, and be helpful in just sort of understanding that. So I'd like to have some fun with, um, you know, I think talked about like talking about books and, uh, you know, just sort of things that people are out there reading and doing and seeing and how does that look and so we'll talk about that so we'll do the um we're going to go through the ages a little bit just so that we can people can sort of tie this together right like what does it look like for you know maybe a two-year-old a seven-year-old and a a 13-year-old right like you're dealing with lots of different regulation what it looks like in different ways so um you know have to weigh the mystery a little bit <laughs> well I, I don't know why it's running on my, running through my head on it is if i were sitting there listening if i was sitting here watching I would be thinking to myself off the bat, well, I've already given birth and my child is two or three or four years old or just a year old. So the egg is already cooked. The egg is not already cooked. That regulation can still be provided. Mm -hmm. um, all right. So we'll be expanding on that next week. Yeah. Uh, if a student stresses a baby, keep that part in mind and co-regulation can be accomplished. To regulate you, it's going to regulate your child. Any other closing words, Amy, before we head out? I don't think so. I just want to uh, say, like, don't... I, no, I want to tell the mamas, like, don't stress much. I know that no. sounds really bad, because I just told you about all these darn things. God, no. but, like, I, I want you, those that are giving birth to children, I want to give them permission to take care of themselves. Uh, and if, even if you need to call it, I'm taking care of my baby, then that's fine. But... Take care of yourself, like you said, so you can take care of the baby. Um, and you're everybody always says they want their kids to be happy, right? Like, well, you want most of your, I want them to be happy. I want them to be have love and 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 success and da da da. da. All of those things come easier if someone has emotion regulation and emotional intelligence. All of those things are going to be accomplished much easier. So pour into that that foundation for mental and emotional health to your baby and you were setting them up to be able to reach all those other things gee i couldn't wrap it up any better all right folks thanks for listening thanks for watching this is barry and this is amy there you go regulation revolution we will see you talk to you be here with you next week thank you for joining us thank you the preceding program in no way constitutes therapeutic counseling and does not establish a therapeutic relationship or offer any premise of confidentiality within listener or participant. If you or someone you know is in need of counseling services and reside in the Commonwealth of Virginia, please visit us at heartmindrba.com for more information.